Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Hey, great to be with you, uh, both present here this morning and for those joining us online and uh, in your homes via video. I want to let you know if you didn't pick up communion elements on the way in, hope you can do that. We're going to be participating, celebrating communion together. And if you're at home or in some other location other than the physical space here, I encourage you to, uh, to get the elements as you have them prepared as we come into that space together to honor, remember communion and remember Jesus together today. So, so thankful again to be with you, uh, back with you. The last time I preached here at Stony Plain Alliance, you were in a gym at another location. And to see the growth of this community uh, is absolutely fantastic. So grateful to God for all he's doing in your midst and so good to be with you today. Out of the text that Matt just read for us, we're not going to be able to cover everything today. And I know everybody kind of focuses in on verse 29, and it's like, well, what's that unforgivable sin? Well, we're not really going to talk about that today. You can email Matt about that later. We're going to talk about some other things that actually stand out in the text I feel God wants to say to us today. We're going to be focusing in on just a few things in this passage. And just as a reminder, you've been in the book of Mark, which is absolutely fantastic, um, Mark has this interesting way of presenting the story of Jesus. Some have described Mark as the gospel writer who's in a hurry. He is trying to get to the Passion Week as fast as he can, and yet is unfolding the story of Jesus for people that are living under the oppression of not only Rome, but of religious oppression. And he's presenting Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus as King, as a whole alternate one that we can follow that's different from all the other kingdom leaders of the world. Mark is trying to establish this idea that there's all these sorts of authority structures around. There's all these ways of living under the rule and authority of someone. And all the authority structures of the world end up being systems of dominance and of bondage instead of freedom. And so Mark is unfolding the story of Jesus within a context of oppression and saying, Jesus has come. God incarnate has come among us. And as we're beholding him, as we're trying to understand him, We're seeing what it looks like to live under the lordship and leadership, not of Caesar, not of a temple system. We're looking at what life can be lived like under the lordship, the leadership, the authority of Jesus Christ. We've been looking at the life of Jesus through this book of Mark, and as we come into this text, what was that? What was that? Was that me? Gremlins in the system here? That sounded like it was like in an old building, not in a new building, but that did not come from me, by the way. That was something out in, the, out in the space. So you've been looking at the life of Jesus through the book of Mark, and as we come to this text, I just want to point out a few things. We're going to be looking, first of all, at how the people around Jesus were accounting for him. That is, how they were seeking to explain what Jesus was about, because he was making people uncomfortable. Next, we're going to just look briefly at, we're going to hear Jesus in his own words say who he really is and what life under his leadership is like. And then as we come into communion, what this means for us as we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup. So as we come into the story today, we see that Jesus has already called the 12 apostles and was getting ready to continue his ministry in partnership with those closest to him. I mean, there's so much to unpack here. We're not going to have time for it today, but Look into the idea, if you want to study on your own, the fact that Jesus does this on a mountainside, 
pulling out of the story of the history of Israel that he calls 12. Essentially what Jesus is doing, he's giving a picture of the new Israel. He's giving a picture of a new kingdom. And I mean, I love the fact that Jesus gives nicknames to people. That's kind of playful of Jesus. Hey, you're sons of thunder, you're rock over here. I think it's kind of playful. I love that. There's so much to look into there if you want to study that. But Jesus continues with these followers, those closest to him, saying, we're establishing a new kind of kingdom. We're not just establishing a way of salvation. We're establishing a new way of living under a different kind of leadership. And so Jesus continues to move about, do miracles, and announce the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And at this point, Jesus, right at the beginning of Mark, is really at the height of his popularity. And if I need to do anything with this mic, you just let me know. I'd be happy to oblige. Uh, at the height of popularity at this point, and um, people, lots of people were starting to pay a lot of attention to him. I mean, Jesus probably would have stayed on the margins, except that people started to really be attracted to his message and his way of life. And as we come into verse 21 and 22, I'm just going to read this again. Verses 21 and 22, it says, let me get it here. When his family heard about this, that is all that Jesus was saying and doing, they went to take charge of him. And that word take charge is literally to arrest him, to bind him. The things he's saying and doing are seeming a little crazy. And they said, he's out of his mind. They're assessing what Jesus, their family member, is doing, the one they grew up with, and saying, we actually need to arrest him. He's humiliating us. We need to arrest him and bind him. And the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem and said, no, 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 he's possessed by Beelzebul, the prince of, by the prince of demons. He's casting out demons. So Jesus is doing these incredible things of setting people free. And these theories start to emerge about what is going on with Jesus. And two theories emerge in these verses that try to account for what Jesus has been saying and doing. The first way people accounted for Jesus was, well, he's insane. He's out of his mind. No one would come declaring to be the Son of God. No one would come claiming to be the Messiah and do these things unless they were a little off their rocker. So that's the first explanation. Theory one, this Jesus is crazy. Well, there's a second theory, and it's worse. It's like, no, he's not crazy. He's actually evil. That this Jesus is in league with the devil, and everything he's doing is evil. Now, what are these theories trying to deal with? Well, theories are created to make sense of things that we don't, aren't really comfortable with. And there's stuff happening, and we want an explanation for it. In this case, you've got two groups of people trying to make sense of the claims of Jesus. Jesus is really going around saying and doing things. And you've got groups of people saying, this is upsetting to us. This is disruptive. I mean, we're only in chapter 3 and of this series. But if you've been following along the last few weeks, you've already heard some incredible claims of Jesus. Think of what he's called himself just in the first part of Mark that you've already studied. He calls himself the Son of Man which was a figure in the Hebrew scriptures from Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man is like this divine figure from heaven that comes to judge and cleanse the world of sin. And Jesus says, I'm that Son of Man. He calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, he's claiming he's the creator of Sabbath. And everybody that knew their scriptures at the time would say, hey, we know who created Sabbath. That was God. And Jesus is like, uh-huh, yeah, good. Point A to point B, you're getting it. And then he claims to have the power to forgive sins. And people say, only God has the power to forgive sins, the authority to forgive sins. And Jesus is like, now you're getting it. Good. You're on track. 
In fact, he says that all sin that's ever been committed is ultimately a sin against him. And you have people walking the roads and of, of the area with Jesus, and they're watching him live and hearing him teach, and he's making these absolutely outlandish claims. And this is only up to chapter 3. You just wait till what else he's going to say to get himself in trouble. I mean, it starts unfolding really quickly through Mark. But you can see why there's theories that start to come up in order to deal with the data that they've encountered. They have to do something with this Jesus. What do we do? And throughout the gospel, there's essentially three ways to account for Jesus. It's he's crazy, he's evil, or he's the Lord of all the earth. That he's God in the flesh and the one worthy enough to build your life around. You know, there's a late 18th century preacher named John Duncan. He spoke of this as a trilemma, not a dilemma, not two problems, a three-problem problem, three problem issue. It was later kind of popularized by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, who talked about as you, as you come towards Jesus, as you begin to assess, uh, assess the data about his life, you have to make a choice that he's either lunatic, liar, or Lord. That was C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. And this is essentially what Mark is doing through the gospel. He's presenting to us the story of Jesus. And at every turn, we're having to have to do stuff and decide things about what to do with this Jesus that's being presented to us. Do we assume he's lying? Do we assume he's crazy? Or, do we, or will we take the data and say, this is the one on whom we build our lives? And we're constantly called to make that decision. You know, one of the things that we're faced with in our time that I was thinking about this week as I prepared is that Many have actually adopted a fourth position. We don't like the crazy. We don't like the liar. We don't, definitely don't like the Lord one. But we'll just say uh, he's definitely not one of those. But instead, he's a really wonderful teacher of peace and love. Have you heard that one? We're not going to say Jesus is crazy. We're not going to say Jesus is evil. Definitely not Lord. He's really just a wonderful teacher of peace and love. And in a minute, I'm going to tell you how that all falls apart in something Jesus says here in a moment. But for the people we're engaging with in the text today, that Mark would have been uh, walking with and teaching, that wouldn't have been an option because of the claims that Jesus was making. This is so interesting to me. There's only three working theories right now in Mark's context. Jesus is a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord of all. And some may say, okay, all right, I'll submit this. I'm going to go with the liar and lunatic one. That's who Jesus is. Well, does that argument stand up in the text? And I want to show you just really briefly, historically, why that assertion of simply saying Jesus was lying or he was evil just doesn't stand up. First, there have been a lot of people throughout history who've said that they're God, right? I'm God. I'm the one that's been sent to save you. I've been sent from heaven as, as divine. But not one of the peoples, peoples of the earth peoples of history who have claimed those major things, not one of them apart from Jesus was ever, ever able to get a major movement off the ground. No one who has made the same claims as Jesus about themselves has ever been able to do more than attract a few fringe followers for a short period of time. And yet Jesus makes these claims, says these things, such outrageous claims, and then goes on to prove that they're true and initiates a kingdom movement that has lasted right up to today. And there's something so important to remember here. The people who first followed Jesus were Jews. Back into their context, right? 
And the Jewish view of God was absolutely unique at this time. So when someone comes to earth claiming to be God, we have to understand a little bit about what people would have heard. Because the Jewish view of God at the time was absolutely unique in the world. You see, the followers of Jesus weren't from Eastern cultures that believed God to be the divine power in all things. And his followers weren't from Western cultures who believed that the the gods were these kind of flawed beings that would every so often occasionally interact with humanity in weird ways. You see, the Jews believed that God was one, that he had created the world out of nothing and was so powerful and holy that they wouldn't even speak the name of God or write the name of God down. No other messianic figure that had come along claimed anything close to being God or to being God incarnate, to being deity. Because the last people on earth that would ever say God became human and dwelt among us is the Jewish people. And that leaves us with this incredibly important question this morning. What sort of life must Jesus have lived in order to convince thousands of Jewish people, many who lived with him day and night, to believe something that was opposite to everything they had been taught and make the same claims about Jesus that he made about himself? What sort of life and example must Jesus have been living for people in a Jewish context to look to him and say, you are God among us? It could not be a life that was lived as a lunatic or a liar. It must have been a life that really was lived as God in the flesh. Because what his followers saw was this staggering egocentricity of his claims alongside the staggering non-egocentricity of his life. In other words, his followers would hear him say, I'm the Son of Man, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, the forgiver of sins, and then they would watch him out of that place of authority Love the poor, love the sick, move to the margins, take down systems of oppression. It's like his claims were so lofty and ridiculous until you saw how he lived it out in perfect humility and self-sacrificing love. It's like holiness and deity didn't act like we assumed. We didn't act like holiness, we didn't, holiness didn't act like we think it, thought it would in a self-serving way, but rather as an unfailing love and mercy. And it was this dynamic, I hope you catch this, it was this dynamic Jesus was doing of height and depth, thinking of it as like the blazing of the sun and then a thaw, right? The heights and the depths, the claims to be God and the living it out in humility. It was like the sun and the thaw, the sun and the thaw that eventually broke through to the hearts of his followers and they worshipped him. They worshipped Jesus as Lord and God. Does it sound like the kind of person who is crazy or is simply out to deceive? No, his life was not the kind that a liar or a lunatic could produce. It could not produce the movement that has bore his name for the last 2,000 years. So maybe Jesus is actually who he claimed to be. And on a morning like this in Stony Plain and wherever you're joining us from online, Maybe it's our decision again to say we will choose to see you as Lord of all. We will acknowledge you as the one we're going to build our lives around, to give our devotion to. And now in our text, Jesus wants to drive home exactly who he really is. So he gives his detractors a metaphor in our text. 
And this really does speak to this idea, well, we're not going to say Jesus is a liar. We're not going to say that he's a lunatic or Lord. He's just this teacher of peace and love. Well, Jesus drives at home at this argument exactly in the next part when he, he gives us an image about binding a strong man. And so these people had come and said, well, Jesus, everything you're doing, you're doing by the power of the devil. And Jesus starts this idea by saying, listen, that just doesn't make any sense. I'm here to do something else. Think about it. Any, any country involved in civil war is so broken on the inside that it can't stand. What you're seeing is not the collaboration of a kingdom. You're seeing the colliding of kingdoms is what Jesus is saying. I mean, civil war, the whole internal division that it requires to be at war with one another. Jesus says, it's absolutely ridiculous. Why would I cast demons out by the power of demons? Why would I seek to defeat evil but be evil? It makes no sense. I mean, just thinking of the the impact of civil conflict. Just last week, I have a friend um, who lives in Canada. He's from Ethiopia. And we've been walking together for a number of years. A year and a half ago, I was with him in Ethiopia doing some teaching. And Ethiopia is involved in a civil conflict right now. There's a whole surgency group from the north and then all this collisions of powers happening. You not believe the devastation that's happening in Ethiopia right now. Now, it would be so crazy to say, well, actually, despite the fact that they're all killing each other, they're actually on the same side. Like, you can't look at civil conflict and say that they're working to the same end. And so Jesus unfolds this metaphor, and he says, listen, you can't handle, he says to the religious leaders, you can't handle what I'm doing or what I'm saying, so you're going to assume that I'm evil. But let me tell you what I'm here to do. Here's my mission. He says, for freedom to come, and Jesus uses this image of a strong man. Right? It says this right in our text. Let me read it for us. He says, I can't just be a good teacher of peace and love because I'm actually come on a mission to do something. He says, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up and then he can plunder the strong man's house. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about out of this idea of what's motivating the mission of Jesus. That he's here to do more than just present an idea about peace and love. He says, listen, right now, The world is under the domination, the rule of evil. Darkness seems to be winning the day. And he looks at these religious leaders, think about this, and he says to them, but because I've come, you think the power of evil is strong. I'm actually stronger than the strong man. And Jesus is associating the work of the devil with this strong man, this power of evil and darkness. And everybody thinks that this power of evil and darkness is impossible to overcome. And Jesus says, yeah, except when I come on the scene and I walk into that guy's house and I tie him up and I take everything that he thought was his. And Jesus is saying, this is what I've come to do in the establishing of a kingdom. My treasures, Jesus says, have been stolen by evil and darkness, by oppression, by greed, by lying and all these sorts of things. I have not come just to preach a message of peace and love. I've actually come to confront the powers of darkness, face them down, tie them up, and take you, people, my treasures, with me into glory. I have come not just to say, hey, there's a better way to live. Not simply that. Or, hey, I offer a ticket to heaven. Not just that. Jesus is saying that everything that you think stands against you, everything you feel in bondage to, everything that you feel captive to, Jesus says, if you invite me into your home, I tie up the evil thing, and I take you with me into new life. And we leave that strong man back there. Now you're with the stronger one who has set you free. 
And I think that's what Jesus is wanting to say to the folks here at Stony Plain Alliance this weekend. He's telling you what he's come to do. And I think there's so many of us that as we come into this text, we're, we're trying to figure out, well, who really is Jesus? And we maybe know him a little bit. That maybe this weekend is our weekend to reaffirm the lordship of Christ in our lives and what he's come to do. I just think over this last number of months, years, whatever else, the numbers of things as I've walked with people and things I've experienced in my own life, where although following Jesus, I've given my heart into areas or given my time or attention into areas, it's leading to bondage. It's leading to darkness. And the invitation of Jesus today is, is invite me into your house. Let's tie up that strong man and get you free. Because if Jesus is Lord, if he's not lying to you, if he's not crazy, and if he's more than just a preacher of good deeds, and if he's really Lord of all, it means he stands before you today offering you a way into a participation in life with him that absolutely changes everything. Jesus is saying to you today, I've come to set you free. I'm not lying to you, Jesus says. I'm not here to trick you. I'm not motivated by evil. I'm not here to destroy you. And I'm more than just a good teacher of peace and love. I'm the Lord of all the earth, the Lord of your heart. And he says, I, you are my treasure. And I want you. And so I will do, Jesus says, whatever it takes with all the authority I have in partnership with you and by consent, when you want to be free, invite me. And I will bind up the things in your life that are holding you back and paralyzing you with fear and anxiety and loneliness, we will bind that up and I will pull you out of that place and I will walk you into a new life of freedom. You see, so often I think we diminish Jesus. We kind of do it, we don't do it intentionally, I don't think. There's a lot of times where we assume that maybe Jesus is lying to us. Well, he hasn't given us the whole picture. Or we think that he's leading us into, into destruction. I mean, how many times have I heard the thing, you know, don't, don't ever say anything like, I won't do it. I won't go there or do that because then God will really do it. Like God's some sort of mean person. Like, aha, I found out what you don't want to do. Now I'm going to call you into it. I mean, it's a little sadistic. That's not what Jesus is like. He's come to set you free. He's come to show you what life under the most loving, benevolent, merciful leader can actually be like. You see, because we all follow someone and there are lots of liars out there and there's lots of lunatics and there's lots of people with an okay message but anyone that gets our devotion, anyone we follow apart from Jesus will literally put us under a yoke of oppression. Jesus is the only Lord that you can devote your life to who will not drive your life into the ground. He's the only one who will give you true and full life. Because he's that kind of God. It's what his life demonstrated. It's what his teaching demonstrated. And it's what we remember as we come to the communion table. I'm going to ask you to take out the elements that were served to you. And for those joining us at home or in hospitals or in care homes, wherever you are. And we're going to start with the bread. And I did some pre-opening of my packaging here so that I wasn't struggling with it. But let's, before you partake, let's just hold it together.
And so we hold the bread. And holding this bread is to serve as an act of remembrance. The scriptures say that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. So would you just break that with me now? Okay, snap that. Now holding it in two pieces, let's think about it this way. The Jesus that we're being introduced to in the book of Mark is the kind of God who says this to you. He says, my people, my treasures who I'm setting free, he says, um, you're all broken, Jesus says. And we're like, yeah, we know that, that's for sure, okay. You're all broken, and Jesus says, and I'm whole. I'm not missing anything, I'm not lacking anything. So here's the exchange I want to make with you in this table of mercy. You bring to me your brokenness. I'll bring to you my wholeness. I will take on your brokenness, and you will take on my wholeness. And this exchange happens. It's what he says, my body is broken for you. That's not something he would lie about. That's not something a crazy person would say. He's talking about the power of transformation. He says, you bring me your brokenness, and I don't condemn you, I don't judge you, I actually heal you. I'm that kind of God. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. It's my body for you, he says. And just before you partake, you know, I've been in churches a long time, and sometimes we build a lot of, a lot of walls around the communion table. Like, well, did you do this? Did you do this? Have you filled out this list? Have you signed this paper? Kind of thing. Um, can I make this as simple as possible? If you're wondering, well, am I allowed to take communion today here in the room or on video or at home? Um, I'll make it as simple as this. The communion table is a table of mercy where all are invited to come. So I will say this. If you're here today and you're joining us today and you know that you're a person in need of God's mercy, then you can absolutely partake. If, however, you're like, no, I'm good without God's mercy, he can keep it, then I would say don't partake, but that's really it. If you're here today and with a humble heart, you say, I know. God, I need your salvation again. I'm being saved every day. I need your mercy, and you can partake. So we remember Jesus, the one who came to us whole in our brokenness and traded us our brokenness for his wholeness. We now remember this Jesus as Lord and God. Let's eat together. The scriptures go on to say that in the same way after supper, he took a cup and said, this is the new covenant given to you in my blood. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do this in remembrance of me. So what are you remembering today? Well, I think it's back to our passage that what it costed Jesus to bust into the house, tie up the strong man, to tie up the things of bondage, the things that were paralyzing us to set us free. It cost him his life. And in remembering Jesus, we take this cup and say, Jesus, for all that you've done to set us free, we don't take it for granted. You're so good to us. And we partake together and remember Jesus. Let's do that. Let me pray for us before we sing. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, Stony Plain Alliance and those joining us uh, by video, I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I bless you with the presence of the real Jesus. 
I bless you with the presence of a Jesus who does not lie to you. He is not playing games with you. I bless you with the Jesus he's not, who's not out to destroy you. I bless you with the Jesus who is more than just a teacher of peace and love. I bless you with the presence of Jesus who is Lord and God, your forgiver, your healer, your redeemer. The one who is breathing life into you right now. And I bless you as you continue in this series in the book of Mark with more than just an, an adventure of information, of learning new things. I bless you with a journey of transformation where we're made more into the likeness of Jesus. God, thank you that you work for our best and for your glory and over this church and over these people. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by your grace and for your glory, enliven us today. For those who are feeling in bondage, for those who are resonating with that idea of being tied up and paralyzed. God, we pray your freedom over them. You purchased our freedom through your blood, through your, through your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection and ascension. It's all been paid. So with the freedom of Christ sweep over you today. And you walk out of the places of bondage held by Jesus having to give no allegiance to the powers of darkness or allegiance to any other leader. Would you find yourselves free in the days to come, more free than you've ever been? He's that kind of God. He's that good. You can trust him. You can devote your life to him. And I bless you with all the blessings that come from the life lived in Christ. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.